noticed that superhero films are pretty big at the moment. In the last few years, we've had several different versions of Spider-Man, Batman, Iron Man, and now currently we have Superman again, the Man of Steel. Now, I realize that most of our superhero fans are probably away at the camp this weekend, but whether you're into superheroes or not, you'll notice there's a theme. Man can be super tough and super strong and super everything else. And so the women don't feel left out. There's also Supergirl and Catwoman. And if you go back a bit, there was Wonder Woman. The message is, men and women can be super. If we get the right costume or the right technology or if we get bitten by the right spider, we can be heroes. Masters of the universe. But the Bible gives us a different picture. The Bible calls us sheep. Now, at the same time, it is the Bible which explains the great dignity and worth that we have as human beings. We don't get that from Darwinism. It is the Bible which tells us we are made in God's image. So the Bible does not devalue us. But it does break the news to us that we're more like sheep than superheroes. And the thing about sheep is they need a shepherd. Left to themselves, they get lost and stuck and into all sorts of trouble. And the passage we're going to look at this morning focuses in on our likeness to sheep, our sheepiness. And the question that our passage asks is, which shepherd? People need a shepherd, and there is more than one shepherd. So which one is your shepherd? The book of Zechariah, which we've been looking at over the past weeks, is addressed originally to the Israelites. It's for us too, but the first audience was Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites have been God's people, one flock under God's care. But now God challenges his people which shepherd are you going to follow? We've already had hints in this book that all is not well in Israel. The men and women Zechariah is talking to have recently come back to Israel from 70 years of exile. But we saw in chapter 7, they're not all dedicated to living for the God who brought them back from exile. At least some of the people are trying to wriggle out of obedience to God. And as we pick up this morning in chapter 10, it seems things have become worse. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. And if you're looking for this in the church Bible, it's page 955. Chapter 10, verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who sends the thunderstorms. He gives showers of rain to all people and the plants of the field to everyone. The idols speak deceitfully. 
Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. Earlier in the book, we were introduced to a man called Zerubbabel. Now, he was the civic leader of the people at this time, a bit like the prime minister. And all the evidence tells us he was a good leader. But some time has passed since the early chapters of the book. It seems either Zerubbabel isn't in charge anymore, or if he is, his leadership is being challenged. He's being marginalized. Whatever the exact situation, Zerubbabel is not mentioned in the rest of the book. Instead, God talks about leaders, plural. And God makes it clear he is not happy with these leaders. The reason is, after all God has delivered them from, after all the lessons of Israel's history, these leaders are going back to trusting in false gods. That explains why the chapter begins so abruptly in verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who sends the thunderstorms. He gives showers of rain to all people and plants of the field to everyone. God is reminding Israel, he is the one they're to look to. He's their provider and sustainer. He's the one to trust. And the reason they need reminding of that is given in verse 2. They're looking to idols and diviners instead. Diviners are people who tried to figure out what the gods they believed in were going to do. That's who Israel is beginning to look to. And what they are getting from all this is a load of garbage. Deceit, lies, and comfort that's just empty because it's based on lies. And this turning away from God is happening right at the top among the leaders. The result of it is the people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. Now, it's not that they are without leaders. They have human leaders. The problem is those shepherds are not leading them to the true shepherd, God himself. And the result is that the sheep are wandering and oppressed. They're lost. And they're being taken advantage of. Many years later, when Jesus traveled through Israel... We're told, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That picture of lost sheep applied in New Testament times too. And it still applies today. It's a terrible thing when human leaders don't lead people to the one who can truly care for them. And provide for them. It's a terrible thing when instead, men and women are led to things that give comfort in vain. Because they're based on lies. 
You may have heard that the girl guides are going through some changes at the moment. Until a few weeks ago, those who joined the guides would say a pledge to love my God. You may have heard that that phrase has now been removed. And instead, new guides will pledge to be true to myself and develop my beliefs. Now, actually, I understand the argument for leaving God out of the pledge. Lots of kids joining the guides have no faith in God. I understand that. But leaving that particular question aside, I want us to focus for a minute on what God is being replaced with in that pledge. In place of God, we now have ourselves. I will be true to myself. So the highest standard is me. Isn't that an example of pointing people to a false hope? If we all live to follow our own desires as the highest standard, we end up in a terrible, terrible mess. That's what produces the Jimmy Savills of this world. And leaving Jimmy Savile aside, making our own desires king is what gets all of us in trouble. Sheep are not wise enough to set their own course. When they do, they end up walking off cliffs. And when we have leaders who tell us that we're all potential superheroes, that we're the final authority in what's right, then we have leaders who are condemning us to wander and be oppressed for lack of a shepherd. It's not harmless wandering. It's oppressive. Another translation says they are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Well, look how God responds to all this in verse 3. My anger burns against the shepherds, And I will punish the leaders, for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the people of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. God himself promises to take responsibility for his people. He will care for his flock. In a time of misleading, unhelpful shepherds, Zechariah chapter 10 is about God, the good shepherd. God promises to make his people like a proud horse in battle. That promise picks up a theme that runs through the whole book. God will use his chosen people to do great things, but it will be by God's power, not by human might or power. Sheep can do great things, but only under the right shepherd. And in verse 4, God promises to provide the leadership that his people need. He says, From Judah will come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. Cornerstone and tent peg and battle bow are all descriptions of leadership. God-given leadership will provide a foundation, a cornerstone. It will provide stability, like a tent peg. 
and it will be powerful, like a battle bow. And God promises this will all come from Judah. Now, by this time in history, Judah has come to stand for the southern part of Israel. But Judah, Judah is also one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And in the very first chapter of the New Testament, we learn that Jesus Christ traced his ancestry all the way back to Judah. The New Testament recognizes him as God's ultimate leader from Judah. The book of Revelation calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah. So in the storyline of the Bible, Jesus is not only the lamb. He's not only the one who lays down his life for his people. He is also the lion who leads his people to victory. And in the rest of chapter 10, God paints a picture of that victory. It's a picture that keeps appearing in this book. We saw it first in chapter 2 and in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And here in chapter 10, from verse 5 onwards, God promises to gather his people from distant lands. He promises to set them free and care for them and give them security and joy and overflowing blessing. It's a picture we've seen before that will ultimately be fulfilled in what the Bible calls the new heaven and earth. That's how the Bible describes the future home God has prepared. And Zechariah 10 tells us that future home is for those who belong to God the Good Shepherd. Who are they? They're everyone who accepts the leader God has provided, Jesus Christ. Maybe some days... You and I are tempted to think we're Superman or Wonder Woman. But in reality, we're sheep. For the most part, we are clueless about what's best for us. We're helpless when it comes to finding our way. We need a shepherd. And we need not just any shepherd. Because there are plenty of leaders who want to shepherd us. But very often they shepherd us toward lies. They give us false comfort. We need the good shepherd God has provided for us. We need Jesus Christ who laid down his life for his sheep. In our reading earlier, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Jesus is not a hired hand who drops his tools and runs at the first sign of trouble. He's not a mercenary who's out to take advantage of the sheep. Jesus was committed enough to die for his sheep. We can trust him. He will not leave us wandering. He won't lead us to destruction. And he has the power to provide for us. He's the only leader worth following. Chapter 10 is full of great promises for God's flock. 
but the mood is very, very different in chapter 11. Look how chapter 11 begins. Open your doors, Lebanon, so that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, you juniper, for the cedar has fallen. The stately trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, the dense forest has been cut down. Listen to the wail of the shepherds. Their rich pastures are destroyed. Listen to the roar of the lions. The lush thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Chapter 10 was full of promises of blessing and prosperity. But this is a picture of ruin, destruction, devouring fire. Israel is pictured here as a forest that has been cut down. And we're about to learn why. We're going to learn that at least part of Israel is not going to follow the Good Shepherd. Verses 1 to 14 of chapter 11 describe the rejection of the Good Shepherd. Now, in order to understand what we're about to see here, we need to know something about Old Testament prophets. Maybe we think of men like Zechariah and Ezekiel as basically preachers in their time. They had a message, and they stood up and delivered it. And to an extent, that's true. But these guys were also actors. In other words, they didn't just use words to get God's message across, They used drama and plenty of props. You see that throughout the prophets. And here in chapter 11, we're going to see Zechariah doing some prophetic drama. And we'll see that ultimately, this drama became a reality in the life of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, Praise the Lord, I'm rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. Zechariah is told by God to play the part of a shepherd, a leader. And it doesn't seem likely that he actually became a civic leader like Zerubbabel had been. Zechariah is symbolically shepherding the people like a flock. We'll see in a moment what was involved in that. But first, notice how God describes the flock here. In verse 4, he calls them the flock marked for slaughter. That's very different from chapter 10. There, God had promised to rescue his flock. And yet, these sheep are in the same situation as the sheep of chapter 10. They are being neglected by their shepherds. They're being taken advantage of by buyers and sellers. We can picture them being herded around helplessly in a sheep market. And yet God says about these sheep in verse 6, I will no longer have pity on them. 
and I will not rescue them. What's going on? Has God decided not to do what he promised to do in chapter 10? Actually, God is saying that the one flock, Israel, is not going to stay as one flock. Out of that flock, some will be saved, and the rest will go to the slaughter. What is it that makes the difference? What causes the division? Well, remember, Zechariah is acting the part of God's good shepherd. Look at verse 7. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. Zechariah would have been doing this in a public place. In some way, he acts out a shepherd looking after sheep. He would have gone to the busiest area in the city. And he would have repeated the show day after day. Maybe he would have moved it around to a few different spots to make sure as many people as possible saw what he was doing. And he gives special attention to the oppressed of the flock, the weakest, the most vulnerable. That's what a good shepherd does. And Zechariah tells us he uses two props, two staffs or shepherd's rods. You can picture what those are like. One of them he calls favor, and the other he calls union. And he may may well have written those names on the staffs. The message is, you are a flock with God's favor on you. And you are one united flock, one people. And Zechariah even tells us he had some success. At the beginning of verse 8, in one month I got rid of the three shepherds. So apparently his public performances had some impact. The three shepherds may have been three of the rotten leaders God spoke about in chapter 10. If that's the case, it seems then the people responded to Zechariah by ousting those leaders, at least some of them. But whatever impact Zechariah seemed to have, very quickly it turns sour. Immediately he tells us in the middle of verse 8, the flock detested me, and I grew weary of them, and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die, and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. Whatever initial responsiveness there was to Zechariah's message, it doesn't last. The flock turn against him. And in response, he takes the staff representing God's favor and he breaks it. The covenant with all the nations probably refers to God's protection of Israel. God had been warning the nations to keep off Israel. But from now on, the land will be open to invaders. 
Zechariah is done with his prophetic drama. He's going to pack up and go home. But before he does, he shouts to the crowd in verse 12, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Verse 11 has given us the context for these verses. Verse 11 told us those who were watching Zechariah knew that what he was saying was the word of the Lord. They knew he was speaking to them with God's authority. That's the context in which Zechariah says, what do you think I'm worth? And they give him 30 pieces of silver. Scholars tell us that was the price of a slave at that time. So there's significance to the amount that people pay. It's an indication of how much value they put on the prophet and his word. Zechariah is being sarcastic when he calls it a handsome price. The money they give him is not a compliment. It's an insult. And the Lord tells Zechariah to treat it as an insult. He tells him to throw it to the potter. And later in the verse, we learn where this potter is. He's at the house of the Lord. So this potter is either working in the temple courts or he's just outside the temple probably selling his pots to those going in and out of the temple. This place that's supposed to be a place of worship has become a place of business and money-making. And at God's command, Zechariah takes the 30 pieces of silver and he throws them at the temple and at this potter who's making money from the temple. It's a symbol of God's rejection. He will have nothing to do with those who treat his shepherd like a slave and who treat his temple like a market. Zechariah throws the money and then he breaks his second shepherd's staff, the one called union. What's the significance of all this? Well, God is saying to these people, you have rejected my good shepherd. And now I reject you. You may keep going through your religious motions here at this rebuilt temple you have, but I will have nothing to do with it. You will no longer be one people. I will take my flock from the midst of you. I will save those who listen to my voice. But what's left will be a flock marked for slaughter. Zechariah was acting out a drama. But about 500 years later, this became a reality. The New Testament tells us Jesus Christ came to the people of Israel. He came to a people who were oppressed by Roman rulers. And their religious leaders gave them no help. 
Jesus described the Pharisees as full of greed and wickedness. He said they neglected justice. Jesus said the Jewish teachers of the law devoured widows' houses. They took advantage of vulnerable people. They loaded people down with burdens they could hardly carry. And they would not lift one finger to help them, Jesus said. And the people's place of worship was no better. The New Testament tells us Jesus walked into the temple in Jerusalem. He drove the merchants out with a whip. And he shouted after them, Stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus came to those people living under neglectful and oppressive rulers and he began to shepherd them. He poured himself out for the weak, the crippled, the outcasts. But ultimately, they rejected him. One of his closest friends, Judas, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas betrayed God's good shepherd for the price of a slave. And the money that was paid to Judas came from the temple treasury. It was the chief priests who paid to get rid of God's good shepherd. And at Jesus' trial, the people joined their leaders in rejecting Jesus. They shouted to Pilate, His blood be on us and on our children. Today, the nation of Israel can no longer call itself God's flock. Yes, it's true, many men and women from Israel belong to God's flock. The first Christians were all Jews. And today, along with people from every nation, Jews are still coming. They're coming and accepting the risen Jesus as their good shepherd, along with people like you and me. And the Bible promises that before Christ returns, many more from the Jewish people will join his flock. But Israel as a nation can no longer say, we are God's flock. In fact, no nation on earth can say that. Today, no one from any people group or nation can say, my birth certificate or my passport makes me a member of God's people. English people can't say that. Or Northern Irish people. Today, our standing with God rests entirely on what we do with God's good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Zechariah's first act is over, but he is not done, in fact. God gives him another part to play. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy but will eat the meat of the choice sheep 
tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. In verse 15, take again means I want you to do some more drama. But this time, you're not going to be a foolish shepherd, Zechariah. This time, in fact, you are going to be a foolish shepherd. Now, that does not mean a stupid shepherd. A better translation would be a wicked shepherd. The word describes someone who is corrupt. Someone who rejects God. And one writer gives him the title, the anti-shepherd. Because you'll notice, he behaves in a way that's exactly the opposite of the good shepherd. He's like a mirror image of the good shepherd. Instead of tending and caring for the flock, this anti-shepherd does not care for it. He does not seek the sheep who wander away. He does not heal the injured. In fact, he isn't just neglectful. He actively destroys the flock that's under his care. We're told he tears the sheep to pieces and devours them. This is a picture of the other devouring shepherd. And the message is, choose your shepherd. Don't think you can roam free and happy over the hills, frolicking around with no master. Your sheep. Sheep will have a shepherd. Choose your shepherd. God is saying, what do you want? A shepherd who will not care for you? Who will not warn you away from danger? Who will not carry you home when you wander? And who will, in the end, devour you? Is that the shepherd you want? Because without Christ, that is the shepherd you have. All of us can think of horrible human leaders. Israel had its fair share of those in the years that followed this, including the Romans. But the Bible tells us that behind evil human leaders, there lies one destroyer of the flock. The Bible calls him Satan, the devil. And the Apostle Paul tells us those who are not with Christ live under the power of Satan. Now, I realize very well we do not like to think of things that way. We like to think we can live with no master. We like to think we can rule our own lives, thanks very much. But Bob Dylan was right. Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. That's just the way it is, whether we realize it or not. The Bible is clear. Those who serve the wicked anti-shepherd are on the losing side. 
ultimately the words of verse 17 will come true. The anti-shepherd will be struck down. Again, we could apply this to many evil human leaders throughout history. They have been struck down in their time. But when Christ returns, the ultimate anti-shepherd will not only be struck, he will be crushed. Satan and those who belong to him will be destroyed. And the New Testament tells us that destruction will go on forever. Choose your shepherd. None of us deserve a place in Christ's flock. None of us. And we can't earn our way in either. But those who are willing to come like lost sheep, those who will come that way, find that he laid down his life for lost sheep like us. The New Testament tells us that at the cross, the good shepherd became the sacrificial lamb. He died in the place of his lost sheep. And his death paid for our wandering and our stubbornness and our rebellion. Maybe today, for the very first time, you can put your trust in him. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you can call him my shepherd. I encourage you to use, in just a moment, our final songs to respond to what you've heard. The songs we're going to sing remind us that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who is also our good shepherd. We're going to sing, I will sing of the lamb and then the Lord's my shepherd.